Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you a little? Are you worried? You ridiculous morgoon. My boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week 14 of the college football season, and happy Thanksgiving to you. I am uh, I'm thankful for college football for the third consecutive year. I was not thankful for college football in 2016, if I'm if I'm being quite honest. Um, a lot to get into this week. Before before going over uh, last weekend's action, I do have uh, a couple a couple story items just from my life. Um, the first actually took place earlier today. So my office, uh, where I work, is located pretty close to uh, ESPN's New York studio. And sometimes during lunch, you know, I go for a walk, get some fresh air, stretch the legs. I often see various ESPN personalities. Uh, I've seen Jay Williams. Uh, I've seen um, Frank Isola, who's on like Around the Horn. I've seen Tony Reale. Um, I see Bamani Jones, like almost every day to the point that we just kind of head nod at each other at this point. And I'm just realizing right now, as I'm saying this, that Bamani Jones and I share uh, a theory, a very uh, potentially unpopular theory, but one that I fervently defend as true. And that is that Stevie Wonder is not blind. So next time I see Bamani Jones, I will most certainly uh, make sure to bring that up with him. Glad that just came to mind. Um, uh, one time I even saw Stephen A. Smith. Well, today uh, I, I saw Bamani Jones, as usual. Uh, he was wearing a, a, a cool-looking hat. So I went to text my friends about his cool hat. And while continuing to walk and, and sending this text, mid-text, I, I notice that uh, who's sitting right in front of me, none other than Paul Feinbaum. Um, you know, of course, the big SEC homer. I think he probably wrote a book. He's, he's on the SEC network. He's always on, like, Get Up and whatever. And I am not a fan of Paul Feinbaum. I think a lot of his opinions are stupid. Um, he, you know, he's, he's really completely just an SEC or bust kind of guy. Uh, I think he's been very unfair to Brian Kelly over the years. And I guess it was just, it was a combination of it being Thanksgiving week and the fact that I saw that Mr. Rogers movie last weekend. You know, I didn't, I didn't come at him. I didn't say anything negative. I just said, hi, Paul the way that uh, a lot of the callers into his radio show might say. Uh, he actually, he had like an earpiece dangling down uh, from from the back of his head. So he, I think he had just like stepped out. He was probably, you know, like in between uh, segments or something like that. So he was, he was kind of mid-working. He, he just said, hey, and that was our three-word conversation. I, I went on and, and continued with my workday. So I'm just going to go ahead and call this an exclusive interview with Paul Feinbaum. I'll, I'm just kind of running through the motions now. I'll probably put that in my tweet for this episode, see if that can get like two or three additional people that just happen to be searching Paul Feinbaum on Twitter. Uh, see if that gets a few extra listeners for the show. Um, so yeah, that was my day and, and sort of a, a fun little moment there. Um, another college football-related item from my personal life. You've heard me talk about my utterly dominant college football fantasy team. Well, in the semifinals this week, I hate to say I lost. Uh, I was going up against a very worthy adversary in John Heibel, so let me just say 
tip of the cap. Congratulations to him. Um, I should note that the final score of our matchup was 183.58 to 182.58. I lost by one point, about half a percent of our total scores. And in the other semifinal, the winner had 110 points. So that made it sting a little bit more. Now let's get into the real gory details. I mentioned I lost by exactly one point. My defense that I started this week, the Miami Hurricanes against FIU, thought it was a pretty good matchup. FIU not known for its potent offense. Miami scored negative one point for me. The difference. His defense, Alabama playing against Western Carolina, scored 27 points. A 28-point swing in our defenses alone. Uh, one of my quarterbacks, Sam Howell for North Carolina, uh, took zero snaps in the second half. Granted, playing against Mercer, I had to factor in that he could be pulled early. I just thought they'd give him a little something in the second half. And Zach Moss, running back for Utah, kind of my last hope because they were playing a late-night game, started at 10 p.m. Eastern. He was pulled late in the third quarter, got no snaps after that, just needed a point from the guy. He was getting more than a point every time he touched the ball. Give the guy one more touch, I've got this. Instead, the quest for the three-peat ends, and it's just going to make me that much hungrier for next year's championship. But for now, that is the end of the college fantasy updates in 2019. Um, getting into the action on the field in week 13, let's start, let's start somewhere a little different. Let's start in the Ivy League. Uh, you know, if, if you haven't heard about this, <laughs> definitely you're going to want to look it up. Um, Yale defeats Harvard 50-43 to at the Yale Bowl in a game that almost wasn't able to be finished. Uh, it went into overtime, for one thing. Uh, Yale was losing by 17 points with nine minutes to go in this game. Comes back, sends it to overtime. Okay, no lights in the Yale Bowl, so that became a bit of a problem as it started to get darker here on the East Coast. And part of the reason that this was going on even later than expected is because at halftime, a group of students rushed the field. Now you think, oh, rushing the field, yeah, you know, college football, students rush the field, they go crazy to celebrate a big win, something like that. No, not at Yale. They were rushing the field to sit down in the middle of the field to protest climate change, and something else. I don't know. I'm not going to look into the second thing. Listen, climate change, very important thing facing society today. No doubt about it. I, I don't often get political on this podcast, but we need to do something about climate change. That is Scoop and Score's official stance on the subject. That being said, get off the damn field, okay? I was I was with friend when we saw this uh, during like the Notre Dame halftime, uh, and, and this was shown on, on NBC. My friends were just joking. You know, wouldn't it have been great if they just kicked off? They just start. I think I think the protesters probably would have gotten up and moved pretty quickly if uh, 22 uh, college football players were sort of converging on them uh, in, in in on the start of the second half. Anyway, that's just that that's about as classic Harvard Yale as you can possibly get. A great game, overtime win with a delay for civil protest. And that's where we're at. All right, um, Ohio State, Penn State got us started. And let me just start by saying, I, I talked about this at the beginning of the season, that Fox was going to get into this. Uh, they were going to focus their efforts on making noon their biggest game of the week. 
And that has worked out so nicely because Ohio State-Penn State, not that this game was exciting uh, for much of the first half uh, in particular, but at least it was a game that mattered. And, I, you know, whenever it went to commercial, I was like looking for what other game to turn on. And there was just nothing. And for so many years, that's what the entire noon slate was. Um, so it's so refreshing. I think it's been a huge success for Fox uh, to have uh, to have this um, idea of making noon their biggest game. And it's gone really well. So Ohio State, Penn State kicked this off on Saturday. Uh, Ohio State won 28-17 in a game that wasn't, I would say, quite that close. It was a real workmanlike effort from Ohio State. They scored one touchdown in each quarter. Um, the reason I, I'd say it was the score was, was kept closer than the game actually played out, um, Ohio State had three fumbles in this one. All of 17 of Penn State's points came in the third quarter. You know, Ohio State's really good. Um, if, if you hadn't had much of a chance to watch Chase Young before this game, but you watched him in this, in this one, you now see how talented that guy is. Uh, he got to 16 and a half sacks on the season, a new Ohio State record, and he's done all of that through just nine games. Remember that he was suspended uh, for the last two games prior to this Penn State game. Just a really impressive performance from Ohio State all around, kind of what I expected in this one, uh, and, and we'll get into a little bit more of what to expect with the Buckeyes uh, when we talk about that big matchup with Michigan coming up. Uh, later on in the evening, second biggest game uh, of the weekend, and maybe most important in terms of outcome, uh, Arizona State knocked off Oregon 31-28. to in a fourth quarter that was really exciting, this game was 13-7 to through three quarters. I told you to watch out for Gene Daniels, quarterback for Arizona State, true freshman. The guy's awesome. He was awesome. Threw for 408 yards and three touchdowns as he led the Sun Devils to the win. Justin Herbert threw two costly interceptions in the fourth quarter for Oregon. Can Oregon sneak back into the playoff picture? Little teaser, I will, uh, at halftime of this podcast, I'll be diving deep into playoff scenarios. I'll tell you what teams can still make it, what teams control their own destiny. I feel like we're finally at a time in the season where it starts to make sense uh, to talk about that with just one game, uh, with one regular season game, and then conference championships remaining. Sometimes people start talking about that too early, and there are just too many games to still be played. But now I think is a good time to talk about it. And I'll tell you whether Oregon still has any sliver of a hope to get back into the playoff picture. Uh, staying in the Pac-12 and and with Oregon's uh, with Oregon's future opponent in the Pac-12 championship game, Utah trucked Arizona 35 to seven. Utah's really good. I know their resume stinks, um, so this is this is tough for me because I'm a resume guy. Um, but they are just they're so strong on defense. Um, Tyler Huntley, a quarterback, is is doing a really nice job both throwing and running. Zach Moss, of course, I've mentioned, is just you know one of the five or six best running backs in the entire country. This is a really good Utah team, um, and you'll have a chance to watch them this weekend in prime time playing Colorado. Again, not a great opponent, but uh, should give you an idea of what this Utah team is capable of. Um, over the Big Twelve. Uh, that championship matchup is all set. Um, although we got the two teams are kind of getting there uh, through different paths. Oklahoma took a 21-0 lead uh, and then held on to beat TCU 28 
to 24. This Oklahoma team is in an, an interesting and a bit of a precarious situation. Looking over their last four games, they had Kansas State and Baylor, where they dug themselves a huge early hole and had to fight back. Of course, they were able to fight all the way back and beat Baylor, not as successful against Kansas State. And then the TCU and Iowa State games, they took huge leads and blew them, but were able to hang on in both. But again, really, you know, scary situations for Oklahoma in both of those games. So they've played a really terrible half, or at least horrible quarter, in each of their last four games. I think this is a real problem for Oklahoma, especially when it's going to be splitting hairs in terms of this fourth playoff spot uh, in all likelihood. I think uh, it's going to be hard for the committee to say, yeah, we, th- we think Oklahoma is one of the four best teams when they've just had real problems with, I mean, list off those teams, Kansas State, Iowa State, Baylor, and TCU. Baylor's a very good team. Iowa State's a pretty good team. And then Kansas State and TCU have not been much this year. So the fact that, that Oklahoma's had such difficulty with those four teams over the last four weeks is a real problem, I think, uh, for the image of that team moving forward. On the other side, uh, you know, the, the team that Oklahoma uh, knocked out from being unbeaten, Baylor, uh, they beat Texas 24-10. to uh, Texas never threatened this one. That, that, uh, that touchdown uh, to make it 24-10 came on the final play of the game. It was 24-3 up until that point. I mean, what happened to Sam Ellinger and this Texas team? They, uh, you know, they were, they were proclaimed back after beating Georgia in that SEC title game. Uh, everyone thought uh, that that performance against LSU, what an epic game that was. I picked them to beat that LSU team. Uh, we came away thinking, man, this offense is really good. That defense just needs to get healthy and grow some depth and get better. No, I mean, Texas is just not a good team right now. Uh, Tom Herman, maybe not quite the offensive guru uh, that Summit pegged him as. You know, did, did he just get out of Houston just in time? Um, you know, that's some of the questions that I think the Texas faithful are probably going to start asking, you know, did did he just kind of jump from spot to spot, uh, before things kind of went south on him and we'll have to see next year is going to be a really important year for that Texas program. Probably the last time we're going to be talking about the Longhorns this season. Uh, on the other side of that matchup, Baylor's just really good and they're going to remain really good. Um, are they good enough to beat Oklahoma in the big 12 championship game? Probably. Uh, We saw they were certainly good enough to take a big lead on them uh, a couple weeks ago. And are they good enough to make the playoff? That depends on on some things that happen around them. But yeah, I think they're absolutely, no matter who the fourth team is, the other three teams this year are going to be better. Um, And and I think, you know, I think Baylor's acquitted themselves nicely. They are, uh, they're, you know, they have some question marks, but they're just as good as a lot of, uh, a lot of these other teams vying for that final playoff spot. Uh, USC uh, finished its regular season at eight and four, beating UCLA fifty-two to thirty-five. I confirm they did both wear their home uniforms, so that was lovely to look at. Kind of sounds like Clay Helton might be keeping his job. Um, who knows? There could be breaking news at any moment, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, but it just sounds like you know, just listening to people in the know, guys like Bruce Feldman, who's very close to that USC program, sounds like he has a real chance to keep his job. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting case because as a Notre Dame fan, I I have a vested interest in the USC program and, and of course the USC head coach. 
he he has that team playing hard, and they've always played hard for him. Um, he seems to be very well liked by his team. So you know, in in that regard, you'd say he's a good coach. On the flip side, and as a Notre Dame fan, why I like this, their recruiting class is in the toilet this year, and it wasn't very good last year. And such an important thing in recruiting is is your coach's job security. And right now, this will be like. Somehow, usually when, when a coach gets fired, it's one tough year of recruiting where the new coach comes in and scrambles to try to put something together. And then in that, that new coach's first year, they usually have a nice recruiting boon. In this case, this is somehow USC has stretched this, this coaching problem out to a three-year cycle where last year finished really poorly because a lot of people thought Helton was going to get fired. This year, he's, he's found a way to be a lame duck head coach that's going to keep his job, possibly, and their recruiting has been terrible. And now next year, you just have to assume, unless there's some kind of long contract extension, which there's no way that's going to happen, you, you have to think that recruiting is going to be a real problem next year as well. So three years of bad recruiting can torpedo a program, even a program in, in as talent-rich a base as USC. That could really cause problems for USC down the road. Um, so I'm all for it. Let's keep Clay Helton on um, and, and continue... To, uh, to limit that recruiting uh, success for the Trojans. Uh, of course, no uh, recap of the week would be complete without an in-depth conversation about the American Athletic Conference. Um, <laughs> Cincinnati wrapped up the AAC East. They beat Temple 15-13. to When you hear 15-13, how'd that happen? Well, there was a three-point swing, an absolutely crushing play for Temple. Uh, After scoring a touchdown, their extra point was blocked and returned the other way for two points, ultimately being the difference in a game uh, that they could have won 14-13 if that play did not occur. Um, Cincinnati's opponent in the AAC championship game will be determined this coming weekend. Uh, Memphis and Navy currently tied at the top of the West Division. Uh, both won this past weekend. Memphis holds the tiebreaker because of the head-to-head win. Um, so, so Navy's going to have to win this week and hope that Memphis loses. Navy plays at Houston. They'll, uh, they'll, they're the favorite there, and I would expect them to win that one. Memphis hosts Cincinnati and are kind of a surprisingly big favorite. I think I saw it was like 11.5 points. Cincinnati's a pretty good team. So uh, we could be getting... Uh, back-to-back, uh, we could be getting a Memphis-Cincinnati back-to-back rematch this week and the following week in the AAC Championship AAC championship if Memphis wins that game. Um, so we'll have to see what goes on there. Uh, the winner of that conference will likely be battling with Boise State to be the Group of Five representative in the New Year's Six. If you're uh, thinking of going to any of these New Year's Six games, May I recommend checking uh, rentlikeachampion.com. You know, find a house to rent. That way you can go with family and friends. You're not, uh, you're not stuck uh, or confined to a hotel room. So many of these hotels, you know, they all sell out because of the big bulls. Find yourself a house. You're spread out. You're relaxed. You can do some cooking. It's just great. You invite friends over. You have a little tailgate party. Go to rentlikeachampion.com. Use promo code SCOOP. They know I sent you. And, uh, and yeah, if you're traveling to a bowl game, I highly recommend going to rentlikeachampion.com. All right, let's talk 
about some playoff scenarios. Now, I am recording this before the latest committee rankings are coming out, but I can't imagine anything happening in those rankings that are really going to, to change my opinion of things. I guess if Oregon, like, plummets, uh, that could that could certainly be a factor, but I don't see them falling much beyond like 14 to 16, and that will not impact uh, my opinion of, of what is possible here. So the way I see it, there are 11 teams that could reasonably make the playoff. Now that list could be expanded by maybe one or two teams if you want in to get into true craziness. For example, um, I did come up with a scenario that Michigan could make the playoff. Um, just quickly, off the top of my head, if Michigan beats Ohio State this coming week, um, and then let's assume that Ohio State goes on and wins the Big Ten Championship, uh, let's just say that LSU wins out, um, and, and Clemson wins out. You've got Clemson, you've got LSU, and you've got Ohio State all in the playoff. So now it's just a matter of finding that fourth spot and how do we get Michigan into it. Let's say Auburn beats Alabama. I think Michigan probably jumps Alabama. Um, at that point, you would need, uh, you would need, let's say, Oregon to lose to Oregon State and then beat Utah in the conference championship game. I think Michigan's ahead of both Pac-12 teams. You would need uh, Oklahoma to lose to Oklahoma State, but then to beat Baylor in the Big 12 championship. I think Michigan is then ahead of both of those teams. The question becomes, does Michigan jump ahead of Florida to get into that uh, that final playoff spot? I think with a win against Ohio State, um, and assuming that Ohio State goes on to win the Big Ten championship, they likely would. But just for good measure, let's say Florida State knocks off Florida. Now I think the path is clear. There's no one that belongs in that fourth spot other than Michigan, and that is how Michigan could conceivably get into the college football playoff. As I say all of this, and we're just thinking, how can we find a fourth team that's worthy of, uh, of being in the playoff? You just got to feel bad for UCF. The, the, the 2017 Scoopman Score national champion, UCF, they picked the wrong year to, to not go undefeated because... Either of these last two years, they really would have been in the thick of things in this race, and unfortunately, uh, just not having their best season. But let's get in uh, the 11 teams that can make the playoff. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Utah, Alabama, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Baylor, Wisconsin, and Oregon. Um, you know, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, pretty simple. They win and they're in. Georgia, same thing. Um, you know, with Utah... They uh, they need Georgia to not beat LSU in the in the SEC championship game because that's the kind of thing, uh, and they need someone to not knock off Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game because these are the kind of things that could conceivably leave Utah out if you then get two from the same conference. Um, you know, Alabama just needs to take care of business and for some other teams around them to lose. Uh, I think both Minnesota and Wisconsin are going to have decent cases. If they win the entire Big Ten, uh, they would have a couple nice wins there on their resume. You know, in, in terms of looking at that, who then controls their own destiny? Uh, I think LSU pretty clearly does. I think Georgia pretty clearly does. I think all three of those Big Ten teams I mentioned probably do. 
Um, you know, if, if Minnesota wins out here, knocking off Wisconsin and Ohio State, they're going to be a 12-1 Big Ten champion. They're going to be in the playoff. Uh, the more interesting case is Wisconsin, but uh, they'd be knocking off Minnesota. They'd be avenging their loss to Ohio State um, earlier in the season. They'd still have that black eye from the loss against Illinois, but, you know, that was that was on the road. It was a last-second game, and Illinois has, has played pretty well down the stretch, so I think they would likely uh, be in good shape at that point as well. And, of course, Clemson controls their own destiny. So if you're in the Pac-12 uh, or, or you're in the Big 12 or you're Alabama, you definitely need some help uh, in addition to taking care of business yourself. Got all that? I threw a lot out to there. Maybe if you're listening on one and a half speed, rewind it, listen on like 0.8 speed, and uh, and listen again, and you will be uh, you'll be all set on on all of the different playoff scenarios. All right, so getting into week 14, um, it, the the real action I'd say starts on Friday, and it starts Friday at noon. Uh, Virginia Tech visits Virginia. Uh, this is the game that will ultimately decide the ACC Coastal champion and probably decide uh, who gets to be the ACC representative in the Orange Bowl. Uh, if if Virginia wins this one, I get my dream scenario of seven different ACC Coastal winners in seven consecutive years. That would be pretty incredible. Um I think off the top of my head, I think Virginia Tech has a 15-game winning streak in this rivalry. Again, I'm don't fact-check me on that number. I might be making it up, but 15 sounds right. Uh, beginning of the season, I, I predicted both of these teams would, would have good years. Um, I I actually thought they'd both have better years to this point, but uh, and and they've taken some a curvy path to get to where they've gotten at this point in the season. But I did predict this game would ultimately determine the Coastal champion. And I'm not going to st- I'm not going to stray from my prediction. I had Virginia Tech then, and I have Virginia Tech now. It's just one of those until Virginia gets over the hump and wins this game. Uh, I think I think the Hokies continue to do it. They've been playing inspired football, especially on the defensive side of the ball the last few weeks uh, as as Bud Foster winds down his career uh, with the Hokies. So I think Virginia Tech gets this one. Uh, they win the Coastal. They go to the ACC championship game, and they get absolutely blown out by Clemson. But hey, that is not a problem for another week. They get to enjoy this win and uh, and and send Bud Foster out on top, uh, at least heading in to the conference championship game. Uh, later on on that Friday at 3.30 is that Cincinnati at Memphis game that I mentioned earlier. This could be a pretty good game, and you know, at this point you're just your... You're getting into the leftovers. Um, you know, maybe you're babysitting your nephew because your entire family has abandoned you to go see Frozen 2, uh, and you're just left home to fend for yourself and watch a baby. Um, so at this point, this is when you're really going to want to make sure that Cincinnati and Memphis is on the TV. And, uh, and you know, those are the kind of things that can really calm a baby. Um, yeah, I don't know a lot about childcare, so I hope my family knows what they are doing uh, with this whole Frozen 2 situation. All right, moving ahead to Saturday. At this point, hopefully the family is home from Frozen 2, and you no longer have major responsibilities over another human life. And at noon, you've got Ohio State and Michigan in what some refer to as the game. 
This should be a good one. Um, boy, what a season it's been for Michigan. In September, they were kind of a punching bag, a laughing stock, and they have really turned things around. Um, you know, going down 21 nothing against Penn State since then, they made that a game. Um, they they blew Notre Dame off the field. They've blown everyone off the field really since then, including last week um, at Indiana. I think I've really just what we've learned is that Michigan loves playing football in the pouring, freezing rain. Um, and now we're at a point where if Michigan wins this game, the season is a success. That's not just me saying that. Anecdotally, I've spoken to Michigan fans who have unequivocally said, if Michigan beats Ohio State, forget the playoff aspirations that people had to start the season. This season is a success. And that's the beauty of college football, because it really just... It's not about the postseason all the time. The postseason's great, but what's important is breaking a seven-game losing streak against your arch rival and knocking off one of the very top teams in the country. Now, you may be wondering, well, does Ohio State have as much to play for in this one? A lot of people think that even if they go into the Big Ten championship game at 11-1 and win the Big Ten championship, that they've got a spot reserved for them in the college football playoff. I can assure you, Again, back to the beauty of college football. They care about this game as much as any other game on the schedule, including, you know, probably future playoff games and 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 possibly the national championship. This game means a lot. It's Ryan Day's first game as the head coach. Uh, well, within the, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, of course, he was uh, the head coach for a few games last year while Urban Meyer served his suspension. So what do we make of this game? Um, you know, Michigan's offense has, has certainly been rounding into form. Um, Shea Patterson gets the ball out very quickly, at least lately. Uh, a lot of quick passes spread out, which could neutralize the pass rush of Chase Young. Um, on the flip side, where I think Chase Young can make a huge difference, is Shea Patterson's ability to run the ball. Uh, he has been an important part of this running game uh, this this entire season, really. Um, you know, Hassan Haskins, is that the guy's name? And and Zach Charbonnet uh, have, have really come on lately for Michigan, but a lot of that is is some, some zone read type stuff. Um, the threat of, of Shea Patterson keeping it and running around the edge is an important part of that run game that helps open up holes between the tackles. Chase Young is so good that he can meet the quarterback and running back at the mesh point and essentially tackle both of them. He's going to take that that zone read away and just end that play. I think Chase Young will help shut down the Michigan running game, making them a more one-dimensional team where they have to pass. And this is a really strong Ohio State secondary unit. Um, Ultimately, I think this is is going to be a pretty good game. Uh, Michigan playing at home. I I think Jim Harbaugh looks across the sideline and is really glad not to see Urban Meyer. Uh, Ryan Day is certainly uh, a good coach, and and he's done a nice job here in his first full season. Um, but who you know, I I am completely. This is my own speculation only. I think that Jim Harbaugh. I'm I'm searching for the right word here. It's not intimidated. Um, I think I think Urban Meyer owned Jim Harbaugh. I don't think that Jim Harbaugh was ever going to beat Urban Meyer. I think. That Jim Harbaugh now says, oh, this Ryan Day guy, he's nothing. 
I'm the more established coach now in this game. I should be the successful one. I think that provides a boost to Jim Harbaugh. I think it provi provides a boost to this entire Michigan team. I expect this game to be pretty close. Um, in terms of the spread, you know, the spread feels the same way. It's about eight, eight and a half points from what I've seen. Similar to what I said last week with Ohio State and Penn State, you know, I think Michigan's a very good team. I think they're properly rated in that 10 range. Ohio State is an excellent team and is properly rated at, at two or one or wherever they may fall here. Um, I think Ohio State wins. I would say they win by 11 points if I was making uh, a prediction to that granular level. Uh, let's call it Let's call it 28 to 17. Ohio State wins this game and moves on to the Big Ten Championship. Also at noon, uh, Clemson visits South Carolina and Georgia visits Georgia Tech. Those are two rivalry games that, you know, they're very one-sided in terms of talent right now. Um, occasionally weird things can happen in those ones. And, and both, you know, theoretically could have major playoff implications. I don't expect either one to be close, but it's at least worth flipping over to on commercials of Michigan, Ohio State, or uh, or just keeping an eye uh, on, on the scores on your phone. Moving ahead to 3.30, of course, we've got the Iron Bowl. Alabama goes to Auburn, uh, the game in Jordan-Hare for this one. Um, Auburn has had an interesting season. Um, they have three losses, of course. Uh, all pretty close. They lost by nine at Florida, three at LSU, and seven at home against Virginia. Uh, of course, Alabama's only loss at home against LSU. Um, so, you know, what What do we make of this matchup? Um, I think it's going to be a good game. Mac Jones looked pretty good against West Ca Western Carolina. I Again, I said I probably could have looked decent, at least, against Western Carolina, with that group of receivers, um, you know Nick Saban will be will will be ready to play. This is a team that is unless it's a Sugar Bowl that they don't care about. This is a team that always comes ready to play. Gus Malzahn, you know, is he is he on the hot seat? What's really going on with Auburn? This just seems like the kind of game where Auburn jumps up and bites Alabama. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot at stake. Alabama's still hoping to get into the playoff. They need to look good, I think, in order to help themselves get in the playoff. Like, winning by three probably doesn't really help them. They need to show that this offense is is 95% of what it was with Tua. Um, so so they're going to be, you know, taking shots. And uh, this, this Auburn defense with Derrick Brown playing at home, that could, maddle, that could rattle uh, Mac Jones in this one. If Auburn wins this game, this will be the first time that Alabama has two regular season losses in the same season since 2010. Just think about that for a second. Um, I'm going to go out on the limb. I'm going to predict the upset. I think Auburn wins this game, and I will make Auburn plus four one of my three picks of the week. I went two out of three last week. I am creeping closer to 500. Um, I should say that I kind of hated the crop of games this week in terms of making picks. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not advocating my own picks this week as strongly as I do in some others. 
But some of those other weeks when I strongly advocated my picks, they stunk. So, hey, do with that what you want. Auburn plus four. That is my first pick of the week. I think they win outright, and I think uh, I think they knock Alabama out of college football playoff conversation. Uh, also at 3.30, a big matchup in the Big Ten. Wisconsin goes to Minnesota. As this week has gone on, I kind of like Minnesota more and more. Uh, they, The more I watch them, the better I think they are. But I'm going to stick to my guns. You know, a couple weeks ago, I, I said I thought Minnesota would knock off Penn State, but then lose two of the last three. Um, and, and, and they did lose to Iowa. I think they will lose here to Wisconsin as well. Jonathan Taylor just continues to be too much for opposing defenses. He's got to stop fumbling the ball, though. Uh, I do think, I think Wisconsin wins a really close game, probably by about three points, and heads into the Big Ten championship game to face Ohio State. Uh, four o'clock, I'll just mention, and the plays at Stanford. Notre Dame has not won at Stanford since 2007. That was, of course, uh, the 3-9 and nine season uh, with, with Jimmy Clausen in his freshman year. So despite the fact that Notre Dame is a big favorite in this one and Stanford's not very good and Notre Dame should roll in this one and there's no change in bowl status based on a winner or loss, this is still an important game. This is one of those things where as, as a program is, is trying to build its, its consistency and, and set a floor baseline level of performance, you need to break long streaks like this. And they need to go to Stanford, get that first win since 2007, I think they win big. Uh, I think I think they win comfortably. Um, so so that is uh, something you know. I doubt you're going to be watching a whole lot of that game uh, with with those other two three thirty games that I just mentioned. But hey, uh, it's my job to mention it. Uh, then going ahead to seven o'clock, we've got Texas A and M at LSU. Of course, a year ago. Uh, this game went to seven overtimes, ended with a fist fight on the field in which someone from the LSU staff got punched in the pacemaker by what may or may not have been Jimbo Fisher's nephew. Um, I know that that sounds like a Mad Lib, but it's true. Uh, read the stories about it. Some old staff member for LSU got punched in the chest and apparently his, his pacemaker kind of kinked out for a second. And the one who did the punching was Jimbo Fisher's nephew. Fun story. Uh, the final score in that one was 74-72, to 72, in case uh, that game needed to be any crazier. I think LSU, led by just absolute barrel of a man, Ed Orgeron, I think they are probably out for some revenge in this game. Uh, I think that they look at the two teams on paper and they say, hey, we can probably win this game by a lot. And I think after all the shenanigans of last year, losing that game in seven overtimes, which I should mention is the reason we have a new overtime rule in college football this season, I think LSU absolutely hangs it on Texas A&M. There is no look-ahead game uh, for this one. No, no looking ahead to the SEC championship game. I'm almost talking myself into laying the points as one of my picks, but it is not one of my picks. I'm just saying if you want to do that, go ahead. I think LSU absolutely tags Texas A&M uh, and hands them their fifth loss of the season. 7.30, Colorado goes to Utah. Uh, not a lot to say about this one other than I'm telling you that Utah's a really good team. They should roll 
easily in this one. Uh, also at 7.30, Florida State visits Florida. Um, you know, one of those last-ditch efforts for Notre Dame to get into uh, a New Year's Six Bowl. If, if Florida State could somehow uh, knock off Florida, that would help Notre Dame. So, hey, might be worth tuning into. And at 8 o'clock, we've got Bedlam as Oklahoma heads to Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma's won four straight in this one and 14 of the last 16. So as much as people like to say anything can happen in Bedlam and, and you know, it's, it's always, you know, such a back-and-forth rivalry, not really the case. Oklahoma's absolutely dominated uh, in this one. Uh, Spencer Sanders and Tylen Wallace both out for the season. Uh, quarterback and receiver combination there for the Cowboys. So I don't expect this to be much of a game as much as I like Chuba Hubbard. Uh, I just don't think he can do it by himself. Oklahoma should roll in this one. I mentioned I liked Auburn plus four. My other two picks of the week, I like SMU giving four points at home against Tulane. Tulane really started strong this year, but lost four of their last five once they started playing better competition. SMU coming off that loss to Navy. Uh, they should be prepped for, for stopping the a, a potent rushing attack, which is really what Tulane is all about. I think SMU at home wins this game by seven uh, and, and covers that four-point spread. And my final pick of the week, I like Vanderbilt plus 21 against Tennessee. Uh, you know, it's been announced that head coach for Vanderbilt, Derek Mason, is coming back. I think the team's going to play hard for them in their final game of the season to to get some positive momentum going into next year. Tennessee got their sixth win. They've wrapped up their bowl eligibility. I just, I don't know, Tennessee's not that good. They're playing, you know, a little bit better lately because they've been playing really bad teams. And while Vanderbilt is a really bad team, this is kind of a rivalry that matters to them. Uh, I think they'll play up. And I think if Vanderbilt can get to 14 points, we're, we're very safe. I know that's a bit of an if, getting to 14 points. But if they can get to 14, I feel really comfortable with that plus 21. I think final score here is going to be 28 to 14 Tennessee. And we cover by a full touchdown there. No sweat. That's about all I've got. One programming note. Um, I'll just give you a little teaser here. I fully expect and hope, and, and partly putting out the bat signal, if you will, to a couple of my listeners uh, who who I hope will be involved. I hope to be posting an episode of this podcast uh, before the end of 2019 that will have nothing to do with college football, uh, but I still, uh, I still think and hope that a lot of you will enjoy it. I know that I'll enjoy recording it, um, so, so that's just uh, a little heads up there that uh, a couple of my listeners need to get it together and, and tell me when they're ready to participate. Um, and next week, I'm hoping to have a couple guests on the show, guests that you've heard before and will no doubt bring valuable insights into what to expect uh, in for, for championship weekend and will help us all win some money there. Uh, that's all I've got. Signing off for week 15. A very happy Thanksgiving to you and, of course, yours. I'll talk to you next week. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.